Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. And let's look together at the Word of God. And our passage is found in Matthew 22, verses 34 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 46. 34 through 46. This is the word of God. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, remember immediately prior to this, the Sadducees had come with a test about whose wife this woman would be in the resurrection who had married seven brothers. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a scholar of the law, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he, that is Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then How does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. The end of the testings of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is eternal and it comes to us in the person and form of your son. Your son is the word and so we ask, Father, that my words this morning may not be mine but his, that my thoughts may not be mine but his, that by your Holy Spirit's power you may work conviction in us of the truth of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a test of Christ. There's a lot of backstory to this test, a lot, and a lot follows this test. Immediately after this final test that's put to Jesus by a scribe who's a member of the party of the Pharisees, but which does appear to be a test from an entire group, not just from one man, but posed by one man and, and in a way that puts a twist on it that's unique and makes this test stand out from all the rest in a way that maybe the, the crowd of Pharisees didn't intend, but the one who did it did intend. Out of this comes chapter 23 and Chapter 23 is one long diatribe or Jeremiah 
that word that comes from the prophet Jeremiah, speaking of God's wrath, speaking of, we call it a Jeremiah if it says, whoa, whoa, whoa. So one long diatribe or Jeremiah exclusively focused on the Pharisees, which is kind of ironic because this may have been one of the few And it grows to be many, but one of the few Pharisees who actually appreciates Christ and gets him, who asks this question. I'll come to that. The question is, what is the greatest of the commandments? What is the the great commandment in the law? He's not asking for two. Jesus gives him two. He's asking for one, but Jesus gives him two. What is the great commandment in the law? Now you know how this is answered because you've read this, you've heard this preached on and you know that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you have any familiarity with the Old Testament, you might well say to yourself that this is an abridgment of the Ten Commandments. We say that the Ten Commandments have two tables, two halves, two parts. The one, the first table of the law, addresses us in our relationship to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not create imagery, nor bow down to it. You shall... shall Keep the name of the Lord holy. You shall honor the Sabbath and honor God by honoring the Sabbath, right? Then it turns to the second table because the second table governs our relationships with human authority and with other people. And so it begins with a statement of parental authority. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, or covet. Those six final ones being the second table of the law, the first four being the first table of the law. I don't know how we came up with the name table for it. I wonder if it comes from the tablets. I wonder if the first four were printed on one tablet or written by God and the others written on another tablet. But it's called the two tables of the law. And Jesus gives back to this Pharisee the two tables of the law. So he doesn't give him one commandment, he gives him two commandments. Because by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, he's saying the first table. God is your God. You don't worship other things. You don't put up pictures of God or representations of things so that you can live in this vicarious world where God is not. You live in the world where God is. No pictures. He's not dead. We don't need to commemorate God as though he's in a casket and so he's surrounded by pictures. He's here. So, no idols. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor him. His name, his very name is holy. Remember his Sabbath to keep it holy. And those are the ways that we love God. So, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Then the second table is all about man. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these abridgments, these concentrations down to two of ten, 
are actually found in the law of Moses because we see that Moses, um, right after uh, recapitulating, going through the commandments again towards the end of his life in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is a sermon preached by Moses at the end of his life and he restates much of the law in his final words to the people after 40 years in the wilderness with them. He tells them the Ten Commandments over again and then he does what's known as the Shema. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What's the next verse of this great statement, a sort of summary statement by Moses of all that God has taught and all that God has done? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And of course, the next, as you know, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So Jesus is just restating what Moses has already said when he, when he says that. And we find as well that when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, that in Leviticus 19, 18, Moses had written in the law of Moses, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he actually summarizes the ten in two, and the two that he takes are not straight out of his own mind, but it's very clearly two commandments that Moses gave that summarize the ten. And so we have this man come to Jesus saying, what is the great commandment? Now, all this that I've said is stuff that you know. But the question is, if you didn't know all this stuff, what would you say was the great commandment? And what do you think the Pharisees might have wanted to hear as the great commandment? Can't hear you, but I... Do unto others as you'd have them... Now, that's, that's stated by Jesus. The Pharisees wouldn't give that because that's not found in the law of Moses. So I don't mean to be negative. <laughs> but no, that couldn't be it because he's the one who founded that and they're not going to quote him back to him. So we have this question. What did they look for? What were they expecting? No other God. No other God. Maybe no other God. Probably. Um, and yet the interesting thing is that as Jesus attacks the Pharisees, we're going to see it in the next chapter, in this chapter where he puts them on blast and speaks to them about the nature of their souls and calls them out left and right. And it is one fierce and epic Jeremiah. When he does this, he says, you guys, you are the world's hypocrites. Hypocrites of hypocrites of hypocrites. You are hypocrites, hypocrites. Woe to you, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You blind men, you this, you that. And one of the things he says to them is that, you know, you hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Three herbs. <laughs> you tithe your... Any of you ever thought of tithing your mint? Few of us have mint plants, Right? We like it in our iced tea in the summer, but you know, you ever thought of tithing your, your mint, your dill? I don't even know what coming is, you know? Tithing this? He says, you tithe your mint and your dill. 
and you're coming and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So, hypocrites. And what do hypocrites like of commandments? The easy ones. The ones that they can do. Tithe, mint, dill, cumin. I'm going to very rigorously tithe my mint and dill and cumin. But the weightier elements of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, faithfulness to God, obeying, loving God, knowing God. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. They do the other. They don't do this. No mercy. No faithfulness. They don't love God. They do not love him. They don't love the Ten Commandments. Now they prayed about in robes and they declared themselves teachers of the law. And Jesus even says to the disciples, well, you have to do what they say to do because they do sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they teach the law, but don't do as they do because they don't follow the law. So what is their favorite commandment? I'm not sure it's even no other God. I think their favorite commandment is mint, dill, and cumin. You know? It's the penny-ante laws that they think they can fulfill and thereby skate past God on the way to your things. Right? I tithe. I tithe my mint. I tithe my dill. I tithe my cumin. And I am good with God. Isn't life nice? I'm a teacher of the law. I get to go through life declaring myself a teacher of the law, a teacher of the law. I tithe, I tithe. You know, and all the other things like that. The ceremonies, the circumcisions, the things that you can do once and then forget about and go on your way. The ceremonies, the grand deeds that have no weight behind them, no cost. These are their things. They teach these things. They say, you must do these things. You must do these things. And Jesus is anathema to them. He's a threat to them because he's constantly saying, oh, no, 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 those things aren't, aren't vital. And so this guy asks Jesus, what is the weightiest commandment? What is the great commandment of the law, in the law? Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second and foremost, this is the great and foremost, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And you know what this man says we learn in Mark? This man who comes to Jesus to test him, all right? It's a unique test. It's not like any other. So the man who comes to Jesus to test him says, listen, Matthew doesn't tell it for some reason. And I don't have to tell you it, but I think it's encouraging that this, this man responds to Jesus and says, right teacher, right. When was the last time a Pharisee said right teacher to Jesus? You're right. Right teacher, 
You have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is, and here he varies from Christ, is more, much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And you say, whoa, this man is coming to test Jesus the way God always encourages you to test him. God wants you to test him this way. He wants you to test him to see if he's faithful. To see whether he's a rewarder of those who listen to him. He wants to. He wants to be tested. He wants you to try him. He wants you to see, is he faithful? Can I trust him? calls you to test him in these ways and this man is testing Jesus to see if Jesus is going to say tithe your dill, tithe your mint, tithe your come in do the sacrifices that's the important thing because that gains you God's favor that propitiates his wrath assuages his wrath takes away his anger at you those are the important things Jesus does not give those things this guy hears it. He grew up a Pharisee. He's part of the Pharisees. And he knows that they say, ah, don't worry about those big things. We have forgiveness in our tithing. We have power in our sacrifices. We are led to heaven by the ceremonies that we fulfill. Don't worry about anything beyond that. Just be assiduous in your obedience to those things. And this man is fed up with it. He understands that God wants something more. And when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, this man goes, whoa. And he's convinced. And he says, right, teacher, right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself is much more important than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And best of all, Mark tells us this in the very next verse, that when Jesus saw that he, that is the Pharisee, had answered intelligently, he looked at him and he said to him, you man, he didn't say man, you, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're just standing there. You've found it. Only Pharisee this happens with in his lifetime. Nicodemus comes close, this man. Joseph of Arimathea. We do know that many Pharisees do come to believe Jesus. Because we know that in part there's a party of the Pharisees at the Council of Jerusalem that are arguing, you've got to circumcise, you've got to circumcise if you're going to be a Christian. And so we know that many turn to Jesus and it's a joy we're not told that any Sadducees did. Those men who lived by their logic had no heart at all. And so Pharisees generally don't, but there is some beating life within them. They honor God's word. They look at it and they take it seriously, even if they don't take all of it seriously. And this man, 
is overjoyed because he's found in Jesus. He's been assured that Jesus is not like his fellows. He is not a Pharisee. He's calling the Pharisees to love God and to love their neighbors and not to the sacrifices. So Jesus immediately segues from that into this latter portion. the Pharisees are still gathered, and Jesus asks them a question, what do you think about the Christ, whose son is he? Now this Pharisee who tests Jesus, he's wondering, is this the Christ? Is this the Christ? Could it be the Christ? That's what he's doing. And he's honestly testing him, saying, okay, prove it, prove it. He's not asking for a sign from heaven, he's asking for truth. And he gets truth, he knows it's truth. He knows this is the truth of God and he looks at all his friends and he says, I haven't been teaching the truth. I haven't been hearing the truth. This is truth. So Jesus, in an act of protection and love to this Pharisee, then goes on the attack against the entire group of Pharisees and the entire class of Pharisees. And it begins in this chapter before it goes on. But in this chapter, what he's seeking to do is to bring this man assurance in his newfound respect for Jesus. He's not far from the kingdom of God. He is about to say, yes, Jesus, you are the Christ. But he's looking, and you say, well, yeah, okay, it's it's obvious he's the Christ. I mean, look at him, look at him, look at him. Yeah, Bible says it in the Old Testament. New Testament says it. He himself acts like it. He raises the dead. He's the Christ. This guy is an antagonist of Christ. He's been in a party that has been bitterly opposed to Jesus, that resents him, who sees, that sees his power and, and feels it as a grave threat to their very existence. And he's looking at Jesus, who has just said exactly the truth, when no one else will say it. You, the greatest commandment is to love God, which is faith, Right? To believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. That's faith and that's love. That is what Jesus is saying. Believe God. Well, all right. So this man is this close to the kingdom and entering the kingdom is transferring his loyalties from this side, the Pharisee, the, the hypocrisy, the, the tithing, the sacrifices, to this side, that Jesus is it all, okay? So what he has to do to enter the kingdom is to go from that side to that side. He has to trust Jesus. He has to love Jesus as God. Jesus knows that's a big step, and it really is a big step. Don't, in your modern-day sort of uh, uh, chauvinism, don't think that you're smarter than this guy or that you'd have done better than this guy. I think this guy does pretty well. Because he's looking at the flesh and blood Jesus. And he's having to say, this is God. You know, this is God. And he's going, he's reeling, you know. He's not far, but... Man, that last step, it's quite a step to go from saying, okay, he knows the truth, to saying he has vindicated himself as the Messiah. 
And he has to, in his own mind, say, then I must worship him. I must love him with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. And that's a tall order for a guy you just met in the temple. So Jesus helps this guy. He helps the boy. The little boy needs to get across the puddle. He helps him. And he turns to the rest of the Pharisees. And he says to them, I have a question for you. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they answer him, they know. He's the son of David. It's the promise, the covenant of God with David that out of him would come. David talks about it. Samuel writes about it. Or the book of Samuel. David sings about it in the Psalms. How great your your kindness is to me that you've said you'll establish my house and after me will come who will rule. So they know this. Every Israelite knows this who's worthy of the name. They know this. Jesus knows they know this. So he puts a test to them, a conundrum. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Then Jesus said to them, then how does David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, it's not just David, it's, and this is a great testimony to all scripture being God-breathed. All scripture is by the Holy Spirit. And when David said this in his psalm, he spoke by the Spirit. Then how does David, in the Spirit, call him, that is his son, the Christ, Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord. And the word for Lord there is the personal name of God. So David is speaking about his son, but he says, God said to God, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another, because he said, David's son, the Messiah, is David's son, but he is also God. And the scripture makes it absolutely clear now Isaiah says it Isaiah says for us a child will be born unto us a son will be given government will rest on his shoulders his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God this is the Messiah he'll be called wonderful counselor mighty God eternal father a divine name prince of peace there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this and what David is what Jesus is saying is addressed to the crowd but it's speaking to the one and he's saying you're right you're right it's amazing imagine David the amazement of realizing there was going to come from his own body one day a king who would be his Lord his God And yet David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, said it. You can accept it. You must accept that Jesus is God. 
This is the point. He's putting his hand as God always is doing, behind the one who's near and who wants to come across and enter the kingdom. And he's saying, walk across my hand. I will help you. I'll carry you through the puddle. I will bring you to me. And the love of God is... <laughs> so immediately after he says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. He then goes and does this thing. How does David call his son, his Lord? And he's, he's establishing a tower around this man. A tower for him to stand on and a tower for him to oppose from. Because he knows that Jesus has said, yeah, I know it's hard. I know you struggled to cross this last divide. But here it is. David did it, you can do it. And who doesn't want to be like David? You know, if David could accept it, that his son was his Lord. <laughs> Who are you? You're not the great fighting king of Israel. You're not the legend of your time. If he could accept that his son was his Lord, why not you? So we have the greatest commandment, which is to love God. To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, which is to love him in the opposite way that the Pharisees love him. Now the Pharisees will say, oh, we love God. We love God. We love God. But the reality is they're kind of like that dad that many of you have told me was your dad who goes to work, who comes home, and who really doesn't want to be around you. Yeah, he's there yeah he's willing to have you call him dad but he sits in his chair and he's preoccupied with work worries yard work keeping the car up you know working in his workshop or even worse with his drinking or his his buds or his you know his computer games or his pornography yeah, I love my kids, yeah. Yeah, of course I love my kids, but, you know, I have my life, and, you know, I can't let my kids overwhelm my life. So I love you guys, I love you. You know, I bring the money home, you know. I give my tithes, my dill, my mint, my coming. yeah, God. But man, I don't want to have you consume my mind and heart and strength. I've got to have a life. And all of us at one point or another say to God, I've got to have a life. I can't spend all my life with you. I'm... So we don't love God. And the reality is we say we love God. We tell God, hey, be satisfied with this. This is my love, the way I love you. But the kids of the fathers who sit in the couch and watch porn don't feel loved. God's no fool. He, he, he's not mocked. He doesn't say, you can sit there in your couch and watch your porn and love me. God understands even better than your kids that your words are not true. And he says to you, hey, hey, you have to love me with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And you say, how do I love you, God? I don't even, I barely know you. 
So I have just a few things to say to you about how you love God. Calvin in his institute says we can't know God until we know ourselves. And then he starts talking about how sinful we are. And he just goes on this long excursion of talking about how deeply wicked we are. And you know, I used to sit in church and dream about what I would do with girls who were in the congregation with me when I was the age of Wolfgang. And I'd sit in church and my brother and I, my younger brother and I would put a watch between us and uh, this is when we were a little younger and we'd sit there and we'd, we had a timer on the watch and we'd hit the timer and each of us would take turns seeing how long we could hold our breath. Perfectly silent competition, no one ever knew we were doing it, you know? And I had absolutely, I was sitting there, I was quiet, I was dutiful, I was observant, and I had absolutely no regard for God. And I'm not alone. There's none righteous, no, not one. The deeds that have been done as you sit in these chairs this morning, the deeds that have been done in your mind of anger, of lust, of envy, are enough to inflame the whole world with the fires of hell. Your mind is corrupt. Your heart is dark. Realize who you are. And then look at Jesus, looking at this Pharisee, hypocrite, and saying, come on, brother, come on, come in. You'll never love God until you understand what it is to be invited by God to join him as a sinner, as a wicked man, and a depraved woman. You're never going to grasp the glory of God. You will not love him until you start to hate yourself. And so you don't love God if you don't hate yourself, your sin, your wickedness. This Pharisee, he knows he disobeys the law and he knows that all his sacrifices can't make up for a hardened heart. He says, I want a heart that's soft. So you must know yourself. Second, you must obey God. Loving God is the first table of the law. Loving God is honoring it. You can't say you love your parents and disobey them. It's the whole point of the story you just told about the two sons, the one who said, I'll do it, dad, and then went off and did what he wanted, and the other one who said, I'm not going to do it, and did it. Which one was obedient? Which one loved the father? The one who obeyed. If you are not willing to work to honor God, you will never know his love, and you'll never love him. Just obey him. Start obeying him, recognizing how often you disobey him, recognizing in confession that you're failing, but work to obey him. This is love. God is our father. Every sin we commit is an act of rebellion against the father who loves us and against the son of God who is dying for us, who's carrying this weight of sin. 
How can you love Jesus and pile more and more sin on him? You can't claim to love Jesus and be hurling your lusts and your angers and your resentments and your bitternesses at Jesus day after day, willy-nilly, saying, I don't care. I don't care. He died for it. Doesn't make sense, does it? So know yourself. Obey him. And third, you have to spend time looking in his face. This Pharisee looks at Jesus' face. I don't mean looking physically in the face. I'm saying looking at his character, looking at him. The other day we had a family birthday party for little Mordecai, turned three. And uh, uh, the kids were talking after dinner a little bit and saying, Oh, my best friend is, I don't know how the conversation got started. I don't know, my, my best friend is. And little Mordecai pipes up and he says, well, my best friend is Uncle I. And, uh, well, that kind of trumped everyone. Isaiah wasn't there. They all call Isaiah Uncle I. But Mordecai, the little star of the show, is saying, my best friend is Uncle I. Which was quite a moment for Uncle I, though he wasn't there. But the reality is, Mordecai loves Uncle I. The lesser loves the greater because Mordecai has since birth known that Uncle I always wants to hold him, always wants to play with him, wrestles with him, does things with him. And he knows that Uncle I loves him. And that's why Uncle I is his best friend. You must spend time with God, praying to him, reading his word, meditating, thinking about him when you're at work, getting off the game, the game console and picking up the book of Psalms, not running one day, but walking and praying. Spend time looking in the, the face of God and recognize this God made you and loves you and wants you. And you will find love in you building. These are the ways of love. We understand that we're not worthy. We obey and then we spend time. Spend time with God. It's rewarding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great story in your word and the way it challenges us to to love you and the way that it reveals to us how much you love us. Thank you that Jesus supported this Pharisee in the midst of the other Pharisees. Thank you for supporting us in the midst of the world that denies you, Christ. May we stand for you. May we be fully in your kingdom, fully established on the tower of your strength and love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.